So everyone, this is Russ. Hey, so you. Hey, Russ. Hello. Russ, you've had a bit of a connection with the CA, the Christian Union, in the past. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. Um, so in 2007, um, I was preparing to come to Bendigo. Uh, I'm not from Bendigo, but I came, and um, the CU was there. It was kind of, um, if they ever write a history book on CU Bendigo, which I think perhaps you could do, it'd be, a, it'd be an interesting book to read. Um, we kind of called that CU Mark II when I arrived. Um, it had existed back in the past, kind of like, you know, the Chronicles of CU. We heard legends of, and I used to meet people who were, I don't know, in their 30s, oh, I used to be in CU Bendigo, and, but, um, I came and, and it was, it was, uh, fairly small and, um, we just started doing the things that you're doing now, uh, on campus and, um, that's what we did 2008. I started there. I was with the CU, uh, for five years. So hmm. you were like me. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, exactly like me. And, uh, I do actually think exactly. Steve's cooler and I'm not, not saying that with tongue in cheek, but, um, I think Russ is smarter. But. No, I, I disagree. We've all got our traits, Steve. That's true. Um, but uh, yeah, I did did Steve's, Steve's Steve's job for those five years and um, really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was, it was it was it was one of those jobs that was really hard to leave. Um, I'm not sure if you you know you found it hard to leave home. Um, I found the CU was actually my home, so that was hard. Oh, always fun? Well, that's a good question. Um, it wasn't always fun, no. So, um, in fact, we had seasons, and this is the life of a Christian, but I think also you guys are all in gospel ministry in a sense. You're working as a team on campus. You know what it's like, and if you're a Christian in the room, you know what it's like living in Australia that, on a campus that can be hostile to the gospel, um, and that we had seasons where that was not a lot of fun at all. Um, and that was really hard. Mm. Mm. Thanks for suffering for the gospel in those moments, Russ. Yeah. Yeah. And I tell you what, um, in those moments, it, it actually, um, it was going back to God's word and reading, um, verses like in, uh, in the Acts, we see that they suffer a couple of times in a row. Um, they're not being killed yet in the early part of the book of Acts, but they've been brought before authorities. Um, they're told you've got to stop doing what you're doing and preaching the gospel. They're threatened. Um, I want to not dramatise this, but we we kind of went through that. It was just it was verbal, it was words threatened. You know, you've got to stop doing what you're doing, stop um, that sort of thing on campus. And um, I was in many committee meetings and rooms and interviews with our president at the time. And um, yeah, I don't want to use kind of hyperbole or dramatise it too much, but I felt I, I felt. This is hard, and the temptation was to stop, and the temptation was to leave. Um, it's not the reason I stopped actually working for the CU, but the temptation was there, and it, it was just um, it was the, the gentle encouragement of others, um, and just picking up a Bible and reading Acts four, and how they they walk away rejoicing, counting it worthy to suffer for His name. And I thought, wow, I need that. That's that's just what's happening. Um, and that was really encouraging, um, actually, yeah. I think if we're thinking about the theme of staying on track, we haven't even sort of got to that no, question no, yet. No, no, we haven't. We've kind of already done it, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, so, Russ, you, you've now, you're a minister of a church in Bendigo. You've planted yeah. a church. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes, yeah. So, um, when I came to Bendigo in 2008, that wasn't the plan. Um, but 
few years later, and because of the encouragement of different people, um, and some people close to me that I, I work with in the church that I'm in, um, we decided as a team to plant another church uh, in our particular denomination. And so we're Presbyterian, um, and we, we've done that. And um, I would say we're actually still doing it. Church planting probably doesn't just kind of end abruptly at the end of the first year. We're 18, we'll be more than 18 months in now. Um, it's, it's been a great work, uh, a hard work. There is enjoyment, um, that's true. But um, there's also things about church planting that I think currently in our culture, in Christian culture, uh, it's the new black. Um, so if you want to be, you know, kind of edgy and cool, sort of get the label church planter, I actually like to talk to Reforming Church and to our mother church, St. John's, and say that I'm not the church planter. Um, we all are. We're a church planting unit. We're a church planting team. And so that um, if you think about it, and if you just... Church planting can be the new black, and let me just sort of caricature it a little bit. It seems like if you've got a cool jacket, check shirt, you're a hipster, a bit of gel in your hair, boom, instant mega church, church planter, right? And particularly in America, that happens a lot. Um, that, that's kind of the, that seems like the media, the internet, that's what it seems. Here's what it is. Church planting, cut out, you know, all the light show, cut out all the, the fanciness and all the, probably, the stories about how, how great it is, that sort of thing. Church planting at its core, biblically, 1 Corinthians 3, is planting the word in people's lives and seeing them gather into groups, right? It's planting the gospel word. Um, that's, that's important to keep remembering when you're church planting as a team. Because sometimes what people think is, oh, it's the guy at the front, it's the cool guy with the check shirt or whatever, or the, you know, hipster glasses. He's the church planter and we're just all on for the ride. It's actually not true. When you became a Christian, you got enlisted in gospel ministry. And if you're in a church plant, you're a church planter. And you're taking the gospel word and planting in people's lives, whether it be in a one-to-one, in a small group, um, part of a, a supper, or a, you know, kind of morning tea, whatever it is, if you're speaking the word to people, you're planting in people's lives, you're a church planter if you're in that team. And particularly in new ground, in new soil, planting in people's lives that haven't heard um, before or need to hear again the gospel. So that's what church planting is, that's what we're doing. Um, I, in church planting, I could talk about this all day. <laughs> this is not, this is not the forum, this is not the topic. But, um, I don't want to, and I think church planting shouldn't just be, let's shift the Christians in town from the church. Mm. That's not church planting, that's just shifting Christians. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a farmer before this, so was Steve. Uh, Steve had a big farm full of sheep. But like sheep, um, shifting them from one pen to another. Well, that's all very well. It might be you know, better air conditioning over here or whatever. But church planting is actually taking the gospel to new people. Um, if you just kind of start a church and say, hey, well, come to my church now. Well, you haven't actually helped in the greater thing, which is the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Okay, It's not about my church getting glory, it's about God's kingdom. And if I forget that, and this is not, this is not church planning, but I just want to just finish this. If, if I forget that, uh, and if I think it's all about my church and the size of my church and my glory, do you know what? The Bible says, Jesus tells me this, Matthew 6, you've ought to receive reward. And if you want a glory in this life, you've already got it, but your reward's in heaven. Mm. I gotta hear that. I gotta hear Jesus' words right, because, um, there's a certain sense, it's the new black, it's the new cool, do the cool thing, that's not why we want to do it. We want to do it because we want to reach new people with the gospel. Thanks, Ross. Uh, so that's where you're from, what yes. you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us in the midst of all that, how do you stay on track with Jesus? Well, this, this is a question. Yeah, sure. Um, I was hanging out with the... I met some new people tonight. 
back row over there. Um, and we were talking about the questions on the, the CU sheet there, which are really great questions, because that first question, what is the gospel? That's really part of how I stay on track. I think, I think people think they have this image, like before you, before you perhaps do ministry as a job, you're paid for it as a minister, you know what I mean? You know, minister type person, reverend, whatever it's called in your particular stable, neck of the woods. People, I think, think that before you're that, before you're a campus director, a CU staff or a chaplain, um, somehow being that, like doing Steve, Steve's job uh, or doing kind of my job or someone who does that job, well, somehow when you become that, it's easier to be a Christian. Like Steve said tonight in question time, there can be the same temptations, the same hard things about staying on track. And you know what I need? I want to say the first thing, I have a couple of things I want to talk about this. The first thing, absolutely, I need to stay on track, and I go there regularly uh, on a weekly, daily basis if I can, is the gospel. Now, that may sound a bit kind of, I don't know, well, that's just kind of Christian 101, isn't it? Like, it's just the gospel. Like, we're moving on to the greater things. Um, but it is the gospel because you face it and I face it, all the temptations not to trust in the gospel. Um, you perhaps have moments when you're reflecting, you've got time on your hands and you think about your own sin and you think about, does God still accept me? And then I'll tell you what, you get into Christian ministry and it's your job to preach the gospel. It's your job to, to kind of model and, and, and imitate Christ so others can imitate you. And you kind of think, well, I've still got sin in my life and, and I've done this since becoming in Christian ministry. You know, it's, and it can be hard. And I, I need to hear the gospel. I needed tonight. I needed Steve to proclaim that gospel, to preach the, 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 the letter, those words from First Thessalonians to me, right? I needed that. I actually need to sit under gospel teaching weekly in a small group or a church. I, I go to our mother church in the morning. I need those sermons because I need the gospel. I need to know that not just, you know, it's not what I'm paid to do or it's in ministry. I need to know a few things. I'm, I'm actually saved. I need to know I'm safe. It's a great comfort to know you're safe in Christ Jesus, safe in the gospel. The gospel, I need the gospel because I need to actually see how to put off sin. See, the gospel helps me, it shows me um, how to deal with sin. Um, there's, there's a few things, you know, you might know this, this is this is me, I, perhaps I've got a soft conscience, I don't know, but sometimes it's almost like the devil is whispering in my ear, you know, I know what you've done. Right? I know what you think about that person. And I heard this phrase once, which is helpful, I think it's helped me, It's you know, the reply to that is, devil... I know I'm bad, but actually, I'm worse than you think. I'm worse than you know that the gospel's greater. I need to hear that. I need to hear the gospel's greater, that the grace of God is great. Um, that's the first main thing. I actually stay on track because I come back to the gospel. I need to preach it to myself. I need others to preach it to me. I actually proclaim it and me to hear it and believe it. Um, his spirit-filled word, God takes his word by his spirit and works in us that way. Um, we're talking in the back row about the gospel, right? <coughs> Think about this. And Adriano said, which is a great reminder, this is, this is the value of small groups, isn't it? Discussion, speaking the gospel to each other. Adriano said, what is the gospel? He said, it's the word of God. Think about it. How did God make the world? Words. How does God save the world? Words. His word. 
That's extraordinary. Because we think all sorts of other things, oh, God must get me, a big muscly arm comes down from heaven and does some stuff. It's his word. Why? Why does Paul say in Romans, what is the power of God? If you're going to say, if you're going to kind of put the power of God in a box, what is the power of God? What does Paul say in Romans 1? It is? It's the gospel. Right? It's, the, it's his message. This spirit-filled message, right? I need that. That power needs to work in me to help me stay on track. Really do need it. I think Christians think the gospel is something I kind of, you know, got here when I became a Christian and then I'm going to move on to greater things. The gospel is everything of being a Christian. We never move beyond that. And Paul would actually say in Galatians 1 to people like me who, you know, have all sorts of learned degrees, etc. in in the Bible, be very careful about thinking about some other different gospel about moving on beyond it. We need the gospel. That's my first thing that keeps me stuck on track. The second thing is, um, like Steve said tonight, it's so true, I didn't actually talk with Steve about this, but it just rings true that if I've got the gospel, I'm saved and safe and it helps me put off sin, I've responsibility, I've responsibility to, to respond by faith, to trust, um, to keep being encouraged and encouraging others um, in that gospel. And I need to do that, I need to keep praying and hearing God's word read, proclaimed, um, as Steve said, it's hard to do. I mean, you, I did this, we did this for a job, right? But there are times I could just be easily doing it for a job rather than actually um, having the word speak to me. Uh, some things help me. Um, so when it comes to reading the Bible, I use um, a Bible reading plan by a guy called Murray McShane. Or his first name is Robert. Uh, Robert Murray McShane. Yeah, he's a guy from a few hundred years ago. But he... he um, he developed a Bible reading plan so he can read the whole Bible in a year um, and the Psalms you know, a couple of times, that sort of thing. It's just really helpful. It just helps me um, to stay on track with hearing God's Word, reading the Bible. The thing is, I've got to be careful that I don't turn it into kind of like, oh, I didn't get you know, a few days done and, and try and sort of justify myself just because I've done the reading. It's, it's not about how much reading I've done. It's about am I hearing God's Word in, in my heart? Is it changing me, working in me? I think at prayer, um, uh, there's, a, there's a group of people, a group of Christians that I think are very helpful for this. They're actually dead, um, but they're called the Puritans. Um, so I think uh, I am encouraged by other Christians. I'm encouraged by getting together in Christians and community like this. But I'm also encouraged by reading other Christians. And I love reading the Puritans because they're like, um, they take the Bible and prayer and they kind of light it up on fire in the sense of, of showing how they have struggles. They talk about their own struggles with sin, their own struggles with with assurance and acceptance, and they actually come back to the gospel and they write out their prayers. And sometimes I read their prayers as a book of Puritan prayers. I find very helpful. When I find it hard to pray, I just crack it open, um, and it's called Valley of Vision. It's just a little little book of prayers, and it just just starts me praying. And that sort of thing helps me. Reading the Bible and reading Paul's prayers helps me. Um, just see what does Paul pray for, and keeps me on track. Um, in terms of hearing God's word and, like Steve said, praying to him, keeping in a relationship by bringing requests and thankfulness to him. And I want to finish with this. I need the gospel, and I'm responsible in terms of how I'm praying and reading the Bible to keep hearing the gospel and be in relationship with God. Um, but particularly, I want to say, for someone in Christian ministry, um, I need that because I have certain idols. I have certain temptations. I know I kind of touched on this a little bit in talking about church planting. Here are, I would, I would put it to you, 
Most ministers' idols. <coughs> size of my church. Uh, the vibrancy of my church. Uh, the membership or how people are going in their walk with Christ. You know, you've got a church, you feel like everyone's got it together, oh, we're all going well. But sometimes, sometimes I feel like my little church that I'm caring for, which is actually God's church, His flock, I talk with people, it just seems sometimes there are weeks where almost everyone is hurting for different reasons, struggling with sins, or all sorts of things. But pastors, we can easily have idols of, you know, you go to a pastor's conference, what is the first few questions they ask? Hey, where are you from? How's your church going? How, in other words, code for how big is it? And these become idols. What's the temptation? The temptation, the idol is to find my joy, my satisfaction, my assurance, my acceptance of God in the fruit of my work. And I've got to be very careful because it's not my work. God gives the growth. I'm responsible. And I want to keep proclaiming the gospel. And I would love to see revival break out. I always, Steve does the same, we print off more sheets than we need just in case revival breaks out this week. But be very careful, minister of the gospel, I'm speaking to minister of the gospel, I'm speaking to myself, of making those things your idol, your God, that you you live for. Um, And I'll finish with a little story that helps me. One of the the guys, the pastor who's now dead, his name is Martin Lloyd-Jones. I've been reading a lot of him lately. And he loved the Puritans as well. But he lived in the 20th century, went through the Second World War. He died in 1981. So probably before you guys were born. I was four. Um... But I, I really didn't kind of know him when I was four. Um, just only reading him lately, because he was in pastoral ministry. He was in Wales, and he longed for the Welsh revival again. He longed for revival. He prayed for it. His wife said, if you know anything about my man, right, my husband, he's a man of prayer. Okay. Um, he longed for revival. He saw a little tiny village church grow. He went to Westminster Chapel in London, saw it grow. He preached to thousands each week. And if you were to kind of sort of put it in Ron Burgundy terms, he was kind of a big deal, okay, kind of in those years. When Martin Lloyd-Jones was sick, he got cancer in the end, um, and he was dying. After this great ministry, he longed for revival nationwide, which he didn't see, which he lamented, but he saw his church grow, that particular church he was in, and he was kind of a big deal. Remember the idols, idols of a pastor, you know, church growth, all that sort of stuff. Someone came up to Martin Lloyd-Jones to visit him when he was sick and said, possibly rudely, Oh, Mr. Lloyd-Jones, you know, now that you're dying, what do you feel about your legacy? You know, and, uh, you know, you're not, not a big deal anymore. Someone else is in the pulpit. Someone's replaced you. How do you feel about that? You know, you were doing great things, but you're not anymore. Um, how do you feel? I'd like to write an article for a paper or something. How do you feel? And you know what he said? He quoted Jesus' words in Luke 10. In Luke 10, the disciples, 72 of them, have been sent out to do ministry. And they come back and they say to Jesus, even the demons submit to us. You know what Jesus says to them? Rejoice not that the demons submit to you. Now, don't rejoice in your ministry, in that idol. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. If I get to the end of my life and I get a bit proud or Rejoice in what I've done. Woe to me. Rejoice that I have been saved by the grace of God that my name is in heaven. That actually is liberating, you know, because it means I can keep pouring my life out in all zeal, in all zeal, 
And I would love to see many come to Christ. But in the end, that is not a measure of me. Because how are we saved? Are we saved by performance? No, we're saved by grace. So ministers of the gospel are going to be wary of that. That idol being you know, acceptance by performance. Saved by performance, saved by grace. I need to stay on track by coming back to where we started, by hearing the gospel. Thanks, Russ. Can I pray for you? Yeah, that'd be great. We could listen to Colin Buchanan, greatest treasure in the whole world is peace with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our brother Russ. Uh, thank you uh, for the wonderful ministry he had at the CU before uh, all of us came. Uh, thank you that he uh, yeah, did such a great work on campus. But Father, most of all, we, we thank you uh, that his name is written in your book in heaven, uh, that you've given him peace. Uh, because you've given him your son who died in his place. So, Father, we pray that you would bless Russ's ministry, bless his church plant, uh, bless the work that is happening. Pray many people would be saved as he proclaims the gospel. But, Father, most of all, we pray that you would help Russ keep working hard at those disciplines of Bible reading, of prayer, of reminding himself of the gospel and finding his treasure in it. Uh, We thank you that he can be here with us tonight to encourage us, uh, and we just praise you for that. And we pray all these things for Jesus' sake, not our own. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming in, Russ. Thank you. you. Uh, If anyone would like to chat to Russ, they can do that. He might hang around, give us a bit more time. That's all we have for this evening. Thanks.